Hi, this is Roy Worley. Welcome to the interview show that brings on guests from all walks of life. Yeah, it's here that they tell their stories and delve a little deeper into their lives to see what got them where they are. So grab a drink, have a seat, and relax, because this is The Leo Effect. So you finally made a name for yourself. Congratulations. But how do you get your name out to the world? Turn to World Star PR. The caring, honest, and invested team at World Star PR will get you maximum exposure through podcasts, TV, radio, amazing press releases, and red carpet events. They'll ensure that you are worldwide. Jimmy Starr, entertainment guru, and Eileen Shapiro, rock star journalist, will give you the world. So come join the likes of legendary actor Ron Russell, iconic musicians Scott Page and Fred Schneider, world-class designer Sue Wong, TV personality Mickey Burns, and so many more. Check them out on Facebook or on their website, jimmystarsworld.com slash worldstarpr. Worldstar PR, where the world revolves around you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of The Leo Effects. Now, today I'm joined by a very special guest. I have a few you know, questions about what it is that she does, because as far as I can remember back, I haven't had a guest on that, that does this particular career. So we're going we're gonna to delve into that. But first, I'd like to introduce the guest for this evening. And please allow me to welcome on the show, Sheila Conlin. How are you? Hello, Ray. I am doing fabulous. And thank you so much for inviting me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you for accepting the invite and coming on. We're going to talk about everything that you do and even a little bit more about what drives you to do what you do. And I think we're going to have a good time with it. Oh, yes. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the first thing we should talk about is what it is that you actually do. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that get brought up when when you go to your website and kind of start clicking around and I, I've been perusing everything and I you know I could use a little more clarification I think and one of the biggest things that kind of caught my eye is that you were a, a driving force for creating the criteria and you know the different ways that that people cast reality TV. Yes. And actually, yes, that's very, very good. Cause that, I guess we could start with that because, well, let me see prior to, let me give you a little insight prior to. Oh yeah, please do. Television. So prior to reality television, I was an agent, a talent agent and worked a lot with comedians and music musicians. Mm-hmm. I helped uh, Harry Connick Jr.'s career in the very beginning a lot of the big, uh, or the comedians, it was heyday. I was Phyllis Diller's tour manager before I became an agent. And so I was really immersed in comedy when it was at the turning point of a lot of these comedians getting their own sitcoms. So it was a fascinating time. And then with the musicians, it was also breaking a lot of their, in, into their careers or reinventing their careers. Like I did um, the Johnny Cash album with Rick Rubin. And so that was super exciting. Um, But then, you know, after about four or five years, I'm trying to remember, it's about five years as an agent, I wanted to venture out and see what it was like to produce. 
So I started producing what they call clip shows back then. Um, TV's Greatest Sitcom Moments, 50 Years of Funny Females, Oops, the World's Funniest, even a crazy show called When Animals Attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was one of my, my favorite shows. And that became like a little cult favorite. Um, but I was really known, I was known for like the queen of clip shows. And it was so much fun. But then all of a sudden, while we were doing those, this little thing called reality TV was creeping up. And so, you know, it was on the ground floor, literally, as it started to happen. And it was crazy. The, the head of uh, Fox at the time was a guy named Mike Darnell. And I was doing most of these clip shows for him on Fox. And he came to me and he said, hey, you know, you used to find people with talent as a talent agent. You know, do you think you can find real people that'll want to be on television? And we had done a little bit of that, like on the show, um, When Animals Attack, because it was real people stories. And, you know, a little bit similar to like Unsolved Mysteries, you know, how they did stories um, about these real people and their incidences. And, and When Animals Attack, we were interviewing real people and recreating their stories. And I said to him, I said, absolutely, I'm sure I could figure it out. And so from there, we, he had a show called Bachelorettes in Alaska. And it was one of the first reality shows on TV. I believe it even was on the air before Survivor, which typically Survivor was the biggest reality show recognizable yeah. on CBS. But we had done Bachelorettes in Alaska on Fox, I, I believe, right before. Then after that came The Bachelor. And then from there, I worked with Fox on, you know, all their shows that they that started to happen. Nanny 911, Paradise Hotel, Hell's Kitchen, Kitchen Nightmares. I mean, it just went on and on and on. But what we were doing in the beginning was really how to figure out to put real people on TV in either a competition situation, um, you know, finding love, self-help. Um, you know, all these, these different, uh, areas. And it was like, okay, so how are we, how are we going to have, how are we going to make this appeal to real people? And cause it's not scripted. We're not writing a script. We're not plugging them and they're not playing anybody but themselves. And it all depends on what the show is about. So Bachelorette's in Alaska was about were women in the U S tired of finding or not being able to find love. And a, and, a, and a good relationship, a solid relationship. And so it was like, okay, so how would we go about doing that? And so I always work backwards, forwards. So it was like, okay, well, what's the end result? Are they going to meet a man? Are they required to get married? You know, how, how is this going to work? And the, it was so much fun because it was very creative with how they were creating, how the creation of these shows were coming about, right? So sure, Bachelorette's in Alaska, and take a bunch of single women, bring them to Alaska and see if they can meet these men that are sort of untapped in Alaska. And so my, my, you know, wheels were turning and I'm going, well, of course I can figure this out. I'm going to do it very strategically, sort of like a marketing plan. Um, you know, where in the U S are the most single women, um, where in the U S are, um, you know, the single women that are really looking for love, you know, try, trying to really break it down. And because back then it was very specific that we had a cast across the United States. And so just pretty much narrowed 
the 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 criteria down and honing into different pockets of cities and finding women interviewing them and if they would take a chance if there was that right guy in Alaska would they fly to Alaska take the chance to meet a few of them and if he was the right guy would you you know be interested in marrying him and so through that process i had to come up with first of all finding them how to entice them why would they want to come out to talk to me and my staff of of producers and then how to interview them you know what kind of what kind of questions do you ask um how do you how do you know someone's being authentic how do you know someone doesn't just doesn't want to be on tv or they're fake or whatever so the fun thing is you can figure out through interviewing who a person is but then I decided, I'm like, well, there really should be another criteria layer here. You know, maybe we need to do a background check. And mm. the network was like, yeah, we should do that. I go, you're taking people out of their, you know, their hometown. You're flying them somewhere. You're putting them with a bunch of other people. And, you know, they're going to sequester them, meaning they can't talk to anybody back at home, whatever. So what if they, you know, might be a little crazy? Should we do a psychological evaluation? And it was like, yeah, that's a good idea. And the criminals, so just, you know, so we know we don't have someone who, (laughs) (laughs) you know, has a long list of, you know, uh, felonies or things like that and wanted by the law, right? And then the third element was, I thought, well, of course, we got to make sure people are in physical condition. That's a given because if we're going to have them do different things like, you know, out in the cold weather or, you know, dog sledding or whatever, as long as there's no medical conditions. But then I thought, okay, this is also a show about meeting a guy, starting a relationship. And I thought, well, you know, would some women actually try and get away with something? And what I mean by that is, let's say someone was pregnant. And maybe didn't know who the guy was or or they did, but didn't want to be with them. You know, a woman could potentially come on the show and, and say she's not pregnant. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe sleep with someone on the show and then go, Oh my God, no, I'm pregnant. So anyway, that was taking a little bit extreme, but we went as far as, yeah, for those type of shows, we really have to make sure someone isn't pregnant. Right. Right. And, so that's how that whole vetting process began. It was a, uh, a contract, which had to differ from how we did contracts for like game show contestants or hosts, because hosts were really like actors in a sense, but they specialized in, you know, being the thread or the voice of the show and they were their own personality. And that was like hiring an actor anyway. It was through an agent. It was a contract. They come in and do a show. But how do you get real people in and how are you going to turn that into a contract? And so that began that process, creating the contract, doing a background check, doing a psychological evaluation and a medical evaluation. And that's what I ended up calling the vetting process. So I worked closely with the business affairs team at Fox and they were like, this is fantastic. I did this whole binder and everything. And they're like, it's <laughs> great. So eventually... Um, we ended up sharing it um, with all the networks because at that time, all the ne- networks were trying to get on board with doing this thing called reality. And so we decided to share it across the playing field because it should be some somewhat of a uniform type system, right? Mm-hmm. So then basically that's how it started. Each network adopted or adopted the, the contractual 
and then the vetting process, background psych and medical. Wow. I never would have guessed it was like that in depth. Like, that's crazy. Have you ever had anybody still slip through the cracks and not work out? Well, you know, good question. Um, Sometimes there were things that would come up, but we we do this thing called a risk assessment. So we want everybody to tell the truth and to be honest. And we always say, you know, it's not, we don't really care if if, if you, you have done certain things or, you know, this happened in your life, as long as, Right now, you're an upstanding citizen and, you know, running a great life. So, yes, things did, but not on my watch, I could say. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and Fox was one of the more stricter um, networks in the very beginning. So we really took, um, and t- took a lot of attention and, and care in, in taking care of these real people we were putting on TV. And... You know, and and also for the the safety of the other people on the show and for the network. So we did a pretty darn good job um, of all of that. As reality television grew, of course, as in any business, um, you know, people were trying to cut corners, save money, do it differently. And then, you know, people that weren't really as dedicated or, you know, focused on making sure all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted, right? So, of course, then things like that would would slip through the cracks. So it did happen on a lot of different shows. Um, there's a lot of them that, you know, there are a lot of shows. There was a couple of people that committed suicide. There was after the show. There was, right. you know, there's all kinds of stories, right? Or th- there was this this thing they found out. But I have to say on, um, you know, the majority of my shows, we were pretty buttoned up and we were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. And that's that's really how it began for me. It was a process for me that I could utilize my creative sense and work with the creative producers on this great fantastical idea that they came up with and fun, but also what is needed to make sure everybody's protected. Uh, and worth Yeah. Because if I had to sell this to real people to do, there had to be some upside for them in experience. So maybe a prize or, you know, something and so it was fun for me to be able to take, like I said, the creative side, but then my analytical, critical thinking side, legal sense that I, you know, I think is just inherent. And to be able to have a job, a position that I could use both. And it's really, it's been fascinating. Yeah. Where did the Conlin company come in and all of this? So what happened was when that started, I was working for a company called LMNO Productions. And I was do I was head of talent, director of talent, director of talent and research. And we were doing shows like um, Guinness World Records Prime Time and a lot of those clip shows. And then when this started to go into re- the reality world, um, after I came up with this whole system and structure of interviewing, oh, then the other part, the creative part was the interview process, how to film them, how to edit it, how to present it to the producers, how to present the producer selects to the network. And then to go from there, fly them out to do the vetting process and meet in person. Um, so after I had started that, then we did another show called Celebrity Boot Camp, or I mean Boot Camp and then Celebrity Boot Camp. And then Bachelor was happening at ABC, and then there was another one. Then I think that our next one at Fox was Mr. Personality. Um, so all of a sudden, it was like, okay, we have all these shows. We got to find the people, the cast, da 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 da. And I decided, I'm like, wow, 
I could go off on my own instead of just working for one production company, since many other production companies were starting to do this, I could be the go-to person and do all their casting. And, you know, it's crazy. My, my title back in those days is casting director, and I still get that title from time to time. But what I did was way more involved than what you would think of as a casting director in the scripted world, TV and film. So it was a much bigger, bigger uh, job description, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so what I did is I had about $5 in my pocket. And I mean, I was making money, but, you know, still <clears throat> not a lot. <laughs> um, I decided to open up my own office and I decided I could do two or three or four of these shows at the same time. Oh, and okay. I did. And I started, like I said, with very little money. I, I rented a space at one of my friend's office building. And then after being there for about 10 months, I found my own space, signed a lease and jumped off the cliff and went, okay, we're in business. And at that time I was doing, I would do, you know, the development meetings. I would do the budgets. I would do <laughs> working Ooh. with the team force, um, setting up the interview and each show is, is different. So lots of work, but I was doing a lot of that and then hiring my staff, casting producers, our casting people would go, we would pack up camera equipment and then they would go out to different regions and, and interview people. So it was a big operation. It, it, and it turned out even bigger and bigger. At one time, I think I was doing four network shows, casting them and also first, first run shows. So, you know, developing on how this is all going to happen and also doing other development stuff. So it was for a good, oh my goodness, like 10, 15 years. It was crazy. It was crazy. And I was working 24 seven. It certainly sounds like it with all those different hats you had to wear. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually, you know, I was, I would train people that I hired and it was great. I mean, a lot of the, I call them kids that I had in the beginning have gone on to be producers, editors. Um, I mean, just awesome. Um, so it was, it was also creating new careers for people. Um, but I ended up tra training editors like I said, the, the casting producers, line producers, production managers, because the casting element within reality TV was like a complete division on its own, you know, and we worked closely with executive producers and the network because the casting is what was going to shape the show. And a lot of times when we would get into the casting, the, the twist or the, the, the format of the show would change because of what we would discover. And we're like, oh my gosh, there's people that do this, or this is how this is shaping up, and we gotta do it this way now. So that beginning process was super crucial. It still is today on how these shows operate. It's all about the cast. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that. I mean, especially with reality TV. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you don't, if you, you could have the greatest format, but if you had uninteresting people and, you know, and just a non-charismatic, not authentic, um, you know, just, you know, people that you just can't stop watching. Um, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. Well, to, kind of talking on those bounds, I guess, you also have the uh, a thing called breaking into reality. What What is that all about? 
So after doing, I would say that was after like about my 15 year mark, maybe even close to 20, I'm trying to remember when I started that, I decided I was like, wow, I had so many great hit shows on the air, had launched so many careers for people, you know, a show like Hell's Kitchen, a lot of those, those people that wanted to be a chef, you know, were, were line cooks, um, prep cooks. Some were dishwashers wanting to get behind that line. Um, and they were the underdogs, you know, they were going to work in kitchens um, for a long time, hoping to have an opportunity to have one of their own restaurants. And so through the show Hell's Kitchen, we were able to launch people's career to get them their own restaurant or to work with Gordon Ramsay. Um, Kitchen Nightmares was like really helping people turn around their family mom and pop restaurant. Um, the Swan was changing people's lives. Um, Nanny 911, changing families. So what I when I was looking back at all the shows that I did, I was like, wow, we should really talk about, like revisit these people. Where are they now? What are they doing? And how did reality TV, you know, affect their life? How did it change their life? Did it enhance it? What did they learn? And my big thing was, it was really, reality TV was really set up to, to really be an experience and to give people courage to try something new, to go after a dream, to go after a challenge. And it, and it was really more about five minutes of fame, not 15 minutes of fame. It was really just something to launch and spiral yourself into the next great big thing for yourself and not so much to become a star, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be like, you know, you were going to become famous, but it was something that was giving real people, you know, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so I decided let's do a, a like a radio podcast thing. And it was on video too. And where I interviewed people that I had on shows, my shows, and then also from other shows as well to talk about their life and how reality changed their life. Oh, Good or cool. Well. Yeah, it was really cool. Have you ever encountered a situation, you know, you watch like um, America's Got Talent, for example, and you see they have like those people that come on and they just immediately buzz them off because they're just terrible. Like whatever they're doing is terrible. Have you ever encountered a situation where somebody came in for the interview and you're just like, oh my goodness, why did this person even come in? <laughs> well, yes, that happens a lot. But to me, I always say people are my business. And I first and foremost applaud people to take that first step just to come in and, and do an interview or just to show up. Um, what I would always say is like, just make sure that you're showing up for the right show for you. Do your research, do make sure this is what you want to do. So yes, the times when you're going, why are you here? I was like, you have no desire to become a chef or you have no desire to do this. Why are you here? You know, you just want to be famous. You just want this. So yeah, a lot of times that's happened and you know, you still go through with the interview. Um, and then typically they wouldn't go on to the next level or next round of casting. Um, but other times you're looking at them and you're going, okay, they may not be right for this show, but you never know where they may fit in when you have another show down the road. Or uh -huh. is it someone to create a show around? That ha That's happened a couple times too, going, oh my God, this person or this family is so interesting. Um, there should be something more about them. Um, one case in point, there was a show I did and it was going to be, on, it was going to, yeah, it was on VH1 
and it was called It Girls. And it was about these girls that were, you know, daughters of famous people in Hollywood or New York and kind of their lifestyle and how they hung out together as a group of friends. It was it was kind of a spinoff of the Paris Hilton and, and, and Nicole Richie simple life. So it was like, OK, who are another group of friends, girlfriends that live this kind of cool lifestyle? And so we were developing that. And that one I was executive producer on. I remember I was like, okay, let's see if we can really make this work. And we had Carolyn D'Amore. I think Kimberly Stewart was going to be on it, but she didn't. Rod Stewart's daughter. And Sarah Howard, her father was a famous um, writer. And then they had this girl named Kim Kardashian. And she hung out with them. And they were all also friends with Paris and Nicole. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kept interviewing Kim. And she wasn't as crazy and outlandish as the other girls or wild. And some of my partners were like, yeah, you know, she's okay. But, you know, let's see if they have some other friends, you know, because she's not that exciting. And I kept going, I go, right, but they all don't have to be the same. There can be one girl that doesn't dance on tables. There can be, (laughs) you know, doesn't do this. And I go, and she's stunning. I go, there's something about her. I go, I just can't put my finger on it yet, but it's like, I just don't want to take my eyes off of her. And I, you know, I'm intrigued. And so I kept interviewing her more and more, kind of probed to see what's under there, under her, you know, it's like, come on, let's get this out of you. But she was basically the same person every time we interviewed her. But one day she came in and she goes, hey, my mom got a call um, from this other company. I can't really pronounce their name. And she goes, but they want to do a show about my sisters and me. And I'm like, Hmm. I'm like, okay. And she's, and I go, well, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, that might be a good idea because I'm having a hard time convincing my partners that, that you should be on the show with your girlfriends. And so, you know, I basically, I ended up finding out who it was and I'm like, Oh, Buna Murray, they're really good. They did the real world. And I'm like, okay, I'm wondering what they're seeing here, where they're going with this. And So eventually I said to her, I said, look, I said, if you have an opportunity and it's real to go do another show with your sisters, I said, I think you should. I go, I would like you to be on my show. Of course, I wasn't telling her that my partners didn't want her to be on it. Right, (laughs) right. But I, you know, I was very honest with her in that regard. Not 100% honest, but I was giving my, it was like, hey, if you have another opportunity, I think you should look into it and I think you should do it. And sure enough, she did. And we all know about keeping up with the Kardashians. Right. Yeah. (laughs) One of the biggest things. And so, yeah, you know, to me, it's like I'm I am that way when I see the talent. And if I feel they're not right for the show, there was another one I had on Hell's Kitchen. He was amazing. He was an older guy and he really wanted to be a chef. And he did lack in his skills, but he had a kind of a funny, quirky personality. And he was very entertaining in his interview, not entertaining because that was his personality. He was entertaining because he was just, he had this kind of quirky stuff. And I started to feel like, I go, God, I think everybody's more like laughing at him. And oh my God, wouldn't this be funny if Gordon laughed at him that way? Oh, wouldn't this be funny if Gordon... And I was like... I really started thinking, I go, this guy is so serious. And he, I don't think he could handle being made fun of. He's very 
he's this is like something that means a lot to him and would he wants to you know impress his dad and all this stuff right so i finally said to the producers i go i i i, I say you guys cannot have him you cannot put him on the show because i know what you're gonna do and it's not right this guy it'll crush you will crush his dreams you will you will just take him down whereas there's other people that can be quirky, a little bit different, wacky, and it's okay. They can roll with it, and that's just fine for them and their makeup, their personality and everything, um, and it works. But with this guy, I remember I just had to put my foot down. I was like, no, no, we can't put it, we can't do it. And so twofold on that, I had to break his heart that he wasn't going to move on, but I felt like, you know, it's it was better because he wasn't going to last very long anyway. Yeah. And yeah. And I just felt it wasn't right for him to go through that. Gotcha. Well, it's very nice of you to do that. I mean, it, it's better to just have it end that way rather than how it could have ended. So that was very nice of you. And I, yeah. I always say I kind of wear hats, like many hats, like a therapist, uh, <laughs> yeah. a, um, a mom, um, you know, a psychic. It's like all these different hats. Cause you really have to tap in. And I, you know, to me, I want everyone that's going to be on these shows to have the best experience possible or to really learn something about themselves, you know, and also to know what they're getting into. Um, so, yeah, I, I really take a lot of pride and um, care of all these people that are coming on TV for at least in my camp. And then I always will hold their hand through the process and make sure they're fine afterwards, you know, because it's 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 a new thing. It's different. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. Uh, with these last few minutes of the show, I'd like to open it up to you and you can let people know, you know, the different kind of social medias and your website so they can go and follow along with everything you've got going on. Oh, great. So first of all, I've got a new show that's out on Netflix. It's called Skin Decision, and it's doing really well. It's with Dr. Sheila Nazarian and Nurse Jamie. And it's, I love it and great stories on there and really helping people out. It's uh, to either cut or not cut. So check that out on Netflix. And um, my website is www.theconlincompany.com. Otherwise you can reach me on Instagram at TV. Same with Twitter at TV. And then Facebook is The Conlin Company. There you go. Nice and easy. And of course, I'm going to provide links to that in the show description so everybody can, you know, just click the link and off they go. Oh, great. I love it. Well, anybody can reach out if they have questions. And I read all my emails and I answer people. And, you know, like I said, people are my business and, and I love what I do. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Sheila, for coming on the show and talking to me today. You've been an absolute pleasure. I, I just had a great time listening to your stories. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if anything new ever comes up, make sure to hit me up. I'd like to hear about the next big thing coming out. <laughs> there is going to be a next big thing, but I can't talk about it yet. But right. I will be sure to let you know as soon as I can talk about it. Fantastic. Those darn NDAs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate all the listeners who tuned in to check out the show today. Make sure to go over and uh, check out the socials for the Conlin Company. You're going to want to follow along because like we just said, stuff is coming. Thank you all very much and have a wonderful evening. We'll see you all next time. All right, honey. Well, now that was an awesome interview. 
Thanks so much for listening. You all are so great. And don't forget to head to Facebook, Insta, and Twitter and follow The Leo Effects. If you want to hear some comedy and ridiculous voices, check out Shattered Dungeons on YouTube and all other places podcasts can be heard. And you'll hear me voicing crazy characters, usually pretty terribly. So thank you so much. You all are the absolute best. And we will see you all on the next episode.